Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Discovery Edition. I am Michael, your host. If you're new to this show, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content. So if you don't like Discovery or you don't like something about this particular discussion, you can always scroll through our podcast feed and find lots of other content to listen to. Now, in the studio today with me is David. Hello. How's it going, everybody? All right, Dave. So we are closing in on the conclusion of the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. It seems weird, right? That we're already going to be moving into the fifth season. The fifth season, yeah. And honestly, where they're at, it really feels like they're going to give us the Star Trek season ending that we all as Star Trek fans are used to, which is the to be continued. Uh, David, I will be completely honest with you. I'm a little scared because I am so satisfied with this season. Yeah, same here. And I really want them to land this. I'm not used to good things happening to me, Dave. You know, and uh, the fact that I I like this season quite a bit, it makes me nervous that the finale is just going to fuck me. Yeah, because like the the sad part is, is like we forgave the first season because, hey, that was season one. It wasn't a bad season. And it wasn't a bad season. It's a little rocky. And they were going to have their hiccups just to gain their footing. Right. Well, in order to gain their footing in season two, they relied on nostalgia and hype by bringing in established characters that will make us comfortable and it worked to transition discovery and it worked because season three was one of the better ones but the problem with season three the landing they could not stick that landing yeah and it seems like they might have remedied that issue this season season. it does seem like it because i don't see any red flags last season we saw the red flags before it happened. Season one, we saw the red flags before it happened. And so far, I don't see those red flags. I see a lot of good things in the works. And I got to say, Dave, I'm actually very giddy with this episode. I was very giddy while watching this episode. The fact that Discovery has left our galaxy. David. At last, I've been waiting for this type of progress, cosmologically speaking, for the world of Star Trek for the last 20 years or plus, plus 20 years plus. I've been waiting for actual progress in the way of fleshing out the universe of Star Trek. And yet we have continued to go back to that well. And finally, since Star Trek Voyager, we're officially moving in to uncharted territory, David. Uncharted territory. Yes. The idea of the final frontier. 
in a lot of ways, that's a bit of the premise of Star Trek, right? It is. The final frontier. It's seeking out new life and new civilizations. The final frontier. The greatest tagline in all of Star Trek that should be with every single Star Trek series by far. That is the, the spirit of Gene Roddenberry. And here we are again, finally. Because we have not had a series do this since Voyager. I mean, Enterprise, you could argue, did it, but also they fell victim to their chosen chronological premise. Yeah, meaning they were pitched, what, 100 years before the original series. So they were stuck in a corner. They, there's only so much they could do. And when you look at the areas that they actually did move into, what did it have to do with? It had to do with alternate realities and time travel. That's how they were able to explore the unknown. But when it comes to the actual progress cosmologically, fleshing out areas of our universe, it really didn't do a lot. Whereas Discovery now is in that perfect prime position to to do just that. And that was the thing that I was championing uh, with their decision to go a thousand years into the future for season three, because I said, this is the moment. This is the moment that we can finally do it. And they started to go in that direction for season three. They were getting warmed up. And now here we are finally there, David. How, yes. how, how does that make you feel as a Star Trek fan? Not, not intellectually. We're not talking about story, just surely as a Star Trek fan. How does that feel? It feels, it feels really good, honestly, because you can only survive on relying on nostalgia, not just nostalgia, but you can only rely on past concepts yeah. for so long. Yep. Like the more I thought about like how the season has progressed and how other seasons have handled the only one that has dealt with nostalgia and, and prior concepts. Well, mm-hmm was lower decks because that was done in a comedic way. Yeah. And that's different. Yeah, right. Yeah. But here when discovery tries to do it, it just seems very pandering and it seems like, Oh, it's an Easter egg. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> and, and well that, <laughs> yeah. And okay, that's how, that's how, that's how we're going to make the fans happy because we're going to give these Easter eggs. And you know, David, we're, we're you know, we're the minority in the Star Trek fandom, right? We are not easily pacified by Easter eggs and nostalgia. Jingling keys. I just, I feel like that's one of the many issues with television today. Because it's all about nostalgia. Yeah. Never mind original thought. Let's sell this through nostalgia. And unfortunately, that works because that's what a lot of people want. A lot of people have romanticized their past. They have romanticized the franchises they have grown up with. And because of that, they now feel like that's what they want. And many times that then dictates what our creators do for, for franchises like Star Trek, just to keep it close to home. And we're not like that. Like, sure. I, I believe in having some fun, David. I like fun too, despite the fact that I sound like a, you know, a crotchety old man at times, but that doesn't mean that's all I want. Exactly. If you're going to give me some Easter eggs and some nostalgia, better it better not be the only thing you're selling. Yeah, give me more than just the sugar. You know? Right. Give me more. I'm than diabetic, just... please. I don't need sugar. Wait, just, wait. What? Don't you need sugar when you're diabetic? No, no, no. no. You, you, too That's much. low blood sugar. Yeah, right? low yeah, blood yeah. sugar. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not a doctor. But like, the, that's the whole thing that I 
have always had a problem, especially lately with nostalgia. There's only been a few times, few times in geekdom where nostalgia has worked to perfection. 90% of the time. Yeah. No one, uh, it doesn't go anywhere. Right. There's no substance to it. And then there, what it feels great seeing that nostalgia, but then like, Right after the show, what did it do for that nostalgia? It didn't yeah. do anything. It's like having cheap sex with a prostitute. It's like it was fun at the moment, but afterwards you're just like you're just dirty. You're hanging your head low, and you're just like, ah, what did I fucking do? I just wasted like a hundred bucks. It wasn't even that great. You know, she had to give me a handy in oh, the end. You know, it, it just was not up to par. <laughs> yeah. That, so basically, what we're saying, just to summarize this. That nostalgia and Easter eggs equate to prostitution, paying for sex. <laughs> Pretty much. I actually like that. I think that, that I think that actually makes sense. It makes complete sense, and it's a fantastic way of seeing it. Because if you think about it, that's what that is what fanboys and fangirls out there, they're just whoring themselves. Oh, out. Okay. All right. <laughs> I love fans, David. How dare you? How dare you? Okay, so the galactic barrier, they have fleshed out of some things that we weren't quite sure, sure about. And I was going to mention this during our last discussion, but we got so wrapped up in other aspects. I feel like we need to learn more about the spore drive because like, what's its limitations? Exactly. I don't think they've, and correct me if I'm wrong, even listeners out there, please send me a tweet or email me. You guys should all, all have that access within our, our feeds. The information is public. I don't feel like they've ever fully explained the limitations and capabilities of Spore Drive. As I understand it, Dave, the Spore Drive can essentially take you anywhere, yes. right? At least within the galaxy. Now we know that much. Well, the, the thing was, remember, if you, if fans rewind the clock, go back to that first episode where you have Stamets explaining the Spore Drive and the mycelial network. The first episode ever? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And the way it's defined is the mycelial network is the tether of all living things. Right. So it doesn't matter how far it is. It can be past the galactic barrier. Right. And the mycelial network will reach out to them. Well, we have assumed, right? Exactly. We in assumed. Fact, in fact, didn't I have a question? I believe I had said that. I didn't mention the galactic barrier, but I want to say during the first season, I might have posed that question. Does this mean they can go anywhere in the known universe if they have coordinates? Exactly. And yeah, it does. Well, now we know they can't, though, because the galactic barrier somehow eliminates the mycelial network and it doesn't allow it to go through. Yes. So the mycelial network is exclusive to our galaxy. To our galaxy and to our own multiverse. Remember, because like the mycelial network opens up the, the gateways to the mirror universe. Okay, so all universes that take place within... That are positioned within our galaxy within as our well. Galaxy, yes. Okay, that's actually interesting, and I really want that to be explored. I don't think it needs to be explored anytime soon. But do you see what I'm saying about no, discovery absolutely. going into territories like this? Because now they have given themselves so much more ground to explore, and they don't have to explore it now. They don't have to explore it next season. They technically don't need to ever explore it. In Discovery, they could explore it in another series that takes place at the same time period. Yes. That's the beautiful thing about progress like this in a show, Dave. That's why the Borg, yes, they were overused a bit in Voyager, but that's why the Borg works so well in Voyager because they were established in TNG. 
They were used as the end all villain for Picard and the crew of, of the TNG era, right? Yes. But again, going back to the word cosmological, they introduced more things into the Star Trek world that then can be used for other stories. For other stories, yes. And that's what I like about this season of Discovery. They're finally fleshing out the bigger picture of Star Trek. And and the funny the funny thing was at first I was terrified where they're going with this because it could be to me in the bad in in the hands of a bad writing team you can go really bad. It, it could get really bad with going into the unknown because essentially going past the galactic barrier means that everything we know as Star Trek fans pales in comparison to what is beyond the galactic barrier. So how do you, it's, when I first thought about what if this, nothing's out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh dude, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me because that check, is check one, two, three. Is, yeah. uh, is this thing on <laughs> that? That is hey, David, your science, your science, uh, your skill at the science console might actually come into play. Discovery. <laughs> Captain, I sense nothing. no life forms. <laughs> there is nothing out there. There Captain. is nothing here. And that's what, that's why I was like saying is I hope it's not, that because that's border that no it's not even borderline that is it's the cry of a child uh, that caused right, the burn yeah. no you you are telling me you're telling me as a creative person if i'm going to write something to prog to give progression to the star trek universe yes you got to give us something past the galactic barrier yeah well david they're doing it and that's another thing dealing with the spore drive again how did you say it? If this was put in the hands of a lesser writer, it would be dangerous It'd territory. Be dangerous territory. And I, I have said this. I want to say since the spore drive was introduced, I said the spore drive can be a gimmick for hackiness. Yes. I was scared because there, I didn't know the limitations. I didn't know what it was about. The idea for the first couple seasons, it worked because it was a prototype. And it only existed on one ship, a ship that was forced to travel way into the future. So because of that, it removed a spore drive from the table. But now this season, they talk about building prototype spore, spore drives and putting them all the ships. And what did I say? I said, a part of me doesn't feel very comfortable with this because everything we know of Star Trek is being rewritten. And a part of me might. A part of that might just simply be me being a Star Trek baby, afraid of that type of change. But another part of me is thinking from a more of an academic standpoint as a writer. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Do you realize if every ship has a spore drive, it literally removes the idea of Star Trek as a whole to travel into the unknown? If you can just snap your fingers and you're at the other side of the galaxy, What's the fun of that? Yeah. You know, where's the exploratory missions of Starfleet? What does that mean for the exploratory missions of Starfleet? It means nothing because you can literally go from one end of the universe or galaxy to another. But because they introduced the limitations of the spore drive in this episode, all of those potential problems I had have been remedied yes. because now we know the world of Star Trek at the same time that it's getting larger, it's getting smaller, meaning Okay, so we can now jump or we will soon be able to jump from one side of the known universe or I should say galaxy to the other side. But that's fine because the world is bigger and we can't or drive into those areas. We have to go back old school 
and use the good old fashioned warp, warp drive. drive. And that to me effectively brings back the exploratory mission of Starfleet that we can effectively continue. Yes. And that goes right back to the, again, thematically speaking, the idea of the final frontier has been brought back into play because we are hearkening back to some of those things that do work like having technology that's limited. Sometimes you need to limit your technology. Otherwise you write yourselves into holes and the, the other thing or into a corner. Also, when you think about it, historically in the Star Trek universe, it kind of made, to me, it kind of made sense that they would get away from warp drive at some point because especially in TNG and in Voyager, they, they hammered home the, the, the idea that warp drive was destroying the fabric of the environmental environment, the side of things in the universe. Mm -hmm. So yes, if, if they went away from warp drive, especially, you know, like everyone was panicking with the burn in the last season that, oh, we'll never see warp drive again. I was willing to accept it because if they were just, to, if they just threw in a line, hey, we don't want to use warp drive because of damage in the past it caused. Right. And David, that's another thing that I was okay with the spore drive because you are right that that's been a presence in Star Trek. And I think it's been a little problematic because it was an idea that was introduced into TNG. Yes. About it was an, it was basically an allegory for environment for our destruction of the environment. It worked as an episode, but it also created problems because in the episode, when they found out that warp drive was essentially destroying space, Starfleet and the Federation agreed to know to limit their warp. But then we never really ever truly went back to, back that, to idea. that idea. So now we flash four thousand years into the future and what we still are using warp drive. So I am okay with the idea of the spore drive being used. And that's why I'm I'm I said that I'm a little conflicted because yes, mm-hmm. the spore drive idea, when we were just secluded into our own little galaxy, it took away the fun of of traveling through space. But now that that's no longer an issue because we're going beyond the known galaxy, suddenly all of it falls into place perfectly. Exactly. And it now works. And I think that was probably the most smartest maneuver writing wise this season that the discovery writers took. Yeah. Because they could have easily basically said, Oh, the mycelial network can go anywhere. No, they went, Beyond that, it said, okay, the mycelial network will have its limitations. We don't want to over, we want to bring in new things. Well, how do we do that? Let's go beyond the Great Barrier, which I always felt that no one would, uh, as a Star Trek fan, I thought no one would ever touch that area because that area was saved for stuff like the Prophets, and you know the well, God Shakari, right? And anything well, also passing, that's all been books, though. Yeah, but do you realize the non-canon the, necessarily? The Great Barrier essentially was the area of Star Trek where they can dive into more religious and more mythological concepts within the Star Trek universe. You know, they could delve into the spiritualism because it's the great barrier. It's beyond everything. That's where the gods lie. <laughs> and, and it made sense. But now, as a Star Trek fan, we have to tell ourselves, okay, the great barrier is just the great unknown now. What's past the great unknown? And what are we going to see? 
We know we we barely know anything of the Great Barrier as Star Trek fans because, as I said, the only two things that I can think of that dealt with the Great Barrier: Gadashakari and the Prophets. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now we're dealing with species uh, C ten. I think that's what they designated it. Ten C. Ten C. Yeah. The the species that does not act very godlike. They're actually mining things. Well, which we, tells me that basically they're going to give us something different when they jump into the 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 great beyond and show a species that is almost like us, but they're just more advanced than us. I'm just hoping that they take, and I'm sure they will. I'm hoping they take this opportunity not to just give us simply humanoid aliens. Aliens. This is the chance to show that the extragalactic, I believe is what they called it, is different than our own space. Because if you remember, there was an episode in TNG where they explained that essentially everyone in our universe comes from a single species that essentially planted the seeds of life. Yes, the prime species. Yes. So we know that we're all connected in this galaxy. And that's why everyone, for the most part, is humanoid. Is humanoid. But I'm, that doesn't account for the extra galactic. So if we're going yeah. into the unknown, and if you base want to base this a bit on actual science, which we know Star Trek does base a lot of their science on fringe theories. I mean, we know that extra galactic space is different than our galaxy. See, I don't know if the science operates differently. I think that's, they say for the most part, the science acts pretty much the same within our universe. In other universes, yes, the science may act a little different. So I don't expect the nuances of science to be any different. However, it would be interesting for them to start facing anomalies and certain things that they've never come come to face before. Wouldn't that make sense? Look at things like the Zindi uh, going through the expanse in Enterprise, going into new areas that defied what we knew of science in our in our very, in own, our galaxy. very own galaxy. Look at uh, Star Trek Voyager and species species three, four, four. whatever the, the the fluidic space. That's what it was called, right? Yes, yeah, fluidic space. So now here's our opportunity to really get into the strange areas of science and see creatively as creatively as a Star Trek fan, you got me all excited. I know. Got me all excited. But Told then, you I was giddy. <laughs> then, it, unfortunately, I think this is more or less kind of like the pessimistic person in me is basically like going, how can anyone come up with a really bonkers creative idea that will transcend anything we've ever imagined in Star Trek? Mm-hmm. Because... That's the thing of Star Trek. Star Trek always has that little hint of reality, but it's always on that thin line between reality and imagination. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it can be very easy, very easy. I'm not going to say where this happened, but basically it can be very easy where you jump into the imagination and you basically tell the audience, use your imagination. And you don't want to do that in Star Trek. You want to stay on that thin line. And your concept of basically being able to just open Pandora's box, right? And just say, you can make whatever you want, but you got to have that, that little bit of 
realism behind it to make me believe that basically this fits in Star Trek. Yeah. No, I agree. And and also, we don't know the prime species. They could have planted seeds in other universes. So I'm not going to like poo-poo on tangible humanoid species by any means. But I do hope they don't squander the awesome bizarreness that they could introduce. Yeah. I mean, do you remember the original series? The original series delved into some odd things because they were exploring the unknown. Yes. So they were able to do, you know, craft these stories that took they could the crew. Create a, they could create a monster that basically was just a giant rock. Or a giant green hand. A giant green hand. Let's bring that back. <laughs> no, thank you. Let's not bring that back. <laughs> All right. So get more from the holodeck content by pledging to our Patreon page. This year, we've got a wide variety of Trek content planned for Patreon subscribers. So you don't want to miss out pre-shows, exclusive podcast episodes like reviews on Trek novels and comic books. We had discussed a few comic books that are going to be coming out during our pre-show that we just recorded. So we're going to be covering those. March is when we officially get back from our winter break, which is just a few short days away. So you can be prepared for all the content we have to put out there. So please head over to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital and pledge a minimum of $5 or more a month to gain access to our podcast here and behind the scenes tiers. If we are to continue to broadcast and produce more episodes, we do need assistance from the viewers. So if you like our shows, get more of what you like, go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. Having problems with my mic, David? Can you talk for a second? Yeah, I mean, like, going back to, like, what we were saying, the possibilities, that's the thing that I think a lot of Star Trek fans are not giving Discovery the benefit of the doubt. Discovery is by far the one series that will introduce brand new concepts to the Star Trek universe. And that's something as Star Trek fans we need to be actually really excited about. I think... I think fans need to be cautious about how much they complain about certain things because we want to get more things. We want more toys to play with. Yeah. And if the producers over at Paramount get the idea that what they're putting out is not up to snuff, according to fans, even though it is because we can't see past our own expectations then they're just going to stop producing stuff and yeah. we're going to go back into the dark days and, and we don't, we don't want that. So, and honestly, I we need to celebrate a solid season. Like this is turning, turning to be. Yeah. And on top of that, it just goes to show that the remedy for any fan out there who has anxiety about they're changing my fan base, they're changing my, they're, they're abusing my nostalgia you have to look at the writer writing instead of just your nostalgia. Yeah. Is the story, is the story captivating you? Thank you, David. Is the story, cause it's about the story. It's about the story. It's about the story. It, it's not my story to tell. So I'm not going to shit all over things that are not in my control. But what I will shit all over is bad ways that you introduced or flesh out ideas. That's different that I can do. Because you'd realize that basically this past season, the theme of Discovery harkens to the very heart of what makes Star Trek great. Absolutely. 
It does. The theme of basically Burnham becoming a captain, a captain of a ship. We all as Star Trek fans love that story. How do you become a captain of the ship? How do you actually ascend into leadership to lead a crew? Yeah. That is that is one of the core tenants of Star Trek. The the and and the other one that Discovery has been able to do this entire season is dive into the unknown. Yeah. Go where no man has gone before. I'm glad you brought up that line because no one brings it up anymore, which is sad, is Star Trek's tagline, every single series it's always come out, is to boldly go. Boldly go where no man has gone before. No person, David. And yeah, then they change it to no person. And no like, persons. I want to I smack you. Like well, how, how much I want Colbert to smack Stamets. Well, come on. <laughs> I mean, Burnham isn't a man. So you can't like, she's obviously a part of the crew. So you it's, it, boldly go with no persons going. I, get, I can get behind that. <laughs> I'm sure Book would get behind that. But. Oh, <laughs> listen, I'm going to fight Book for Burnham this year because I, I don't know what's going on with Sonequa Martin Green. But she is getting hotter and hotter as the seasons go by because she wasn't really my thing in the first season. Dude, she's I, getting really well into that captain seat. Okay, so it's not just me. She is getting more attractive, yes, right? Because Burnham is establishing herself as a charismatic person. And also the character itself, it's progressing from a person who, honestly, in season one, she was not charismatic. Not she, at all. I would not. Maybe, if, you're right. If maybe you that's what me, it is. If I was part of a Star Trek crew and basically my captain turns to me, hey, Okay, Dave, you're going down to planet uh, follow Burnham. I'd be going, Captain. Why do you why do you want to make me into a red shirt? Yeah, because I have no faith in Burnham. <laughs> and then you know what? You you probably right. I think she's just a more like they're writing her in a way that's more likable. When she when she made that monologue, dude, in this episode, I think you could call it a monologue. That speech uh, to about you know like trusting the crew and everything and talking to the president when she gave that, that speech, that's a true speech. That's a true leader speech. That's a true leader speaking, speaking her mind. She's not arguing with no with her. She's basically speaking her mind as a true leader would. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know I shit on some of those uh, touchy feely moments a lot just because it, it feels like it's a bit much at times. However, in an episode like this, the bonding, definitely works and it conveys an idea of it just it shows the human condition in a good light because that is a part of star trek that i think sometimes people forget we are supposed to be better yeah at this time in human history and not just human history but just civilization as a whole we are better we are evolved so to see these bonding moments it does fit with this idea of humanity's evolution and that's why moments like, for example, the Tarka and Oro story. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I, I saw some people talking shit about it on social media, essentially rolling their eyes saying, here we go. Another gay relationship. But and that's it's like, you're but not, that's not first off, that's not what I saw. Yeah. I didn't see a gay relationship. And if I, and if there was, who gives a shit? It was a beautiful depiction of two people who are imprisoned and isolated alienated who find each other and give each other strength. That's an amazing, beautiful story that fits at every level when it comes to Star Trek. Yeah. And especially since what we saw in that moment with Tarka wasn't Tarka talking about a lover. It was Tarka talking about how this person he ran into, basically they bonded over 
you know, being in prison, being being prisoners of a regime that basically would kill them at a blink of an eye. I think what people were gravitating to was the fact that they were very intimate. And I feel like people that feel uncomfortable with things like that, they probably have intimacy issues because that wasn't a sexual relationship. At least, yeah. at least I don't feel like it was represented as that. To me, it felt like two people who, who bonded and who were very intimate as friends because all they had was each other. Was each other. And that's, that's the thing that basically kind of like made me scratch my head when I was seeing, because I was seeing the same criticism that you were seeing about this whole thing. Oh, they're pulling the, they're putting up, pushing again, the, the LGBTQ agenda by making Tarka a homosexual. And I'm like going, no, technically it would be pansexuality. I mean, you're dealing with alien races. You're dealing with alien like, races, are we exactly. Really, are we really going to start dissecting that? Oh, it's gay. Is it? Because is it? it's an alien. You don't know how it works with them. <laughs> exactly. And, the, and that's the thing is like, I think people that basically make that, make that assessment and make that criticism nowadays, I always turn it on them and say, is it the fact that basically what you're seeing makes you uncomfortable or is it the fact that basically the writing is bad? Right. When you look at the when you look at this moment, was the writing bad? Nope. It wasn't forced. I thought these little vignettes, these little flashbacks for Tarka was some of the best. I don't want to say the best writing, but I feel like it's one of the best relationships. When I, yeah. I and I'm not using that as it's a platon in a platonic sense. At and, least that's how it feels at this time. Yes. It's one of the most better developed relationships. And I believe I've said this numerous times, the Stamets and Colbert thing felt so contrived in the first season. It works now, but it felt very forced. There wasn't a lot of chemistry between the two actors during the first, I'd say two seasons. It, that kind of fixed itself during the third. And of course this season, but then we also have the, the forced family, non-traditional family of Stamus as the father figure and Gray and Adira are the children. That to me also felt contrived because there wasn't enough development around that idea for them to suddenly feel like they are their children. They're it, a family. Yeah, it felt weird. Whereas exactly. this is totally different because they were able to streamline these moments so quickly in very concise written vignettes. You believe this relationship, you understand how it formed and it then creates this understandable motivation for this character yes. because through these vignettes, and it also wasn't just relationships for relationships sake. It was motivation for Tarka, which is what I've been saying all season or been asking, what is Tarka's true motivation? Now it's not nearly as nefarious as I had, thought. as I had thought, and it still works. It doesn't need to be nefarious, and as it turns out, Tarka is not from another universe as they were definitely leading us to believe. He actually seeks another universe. Another universe. Something that Oros had told him about that he was working on a multiverse positioning equation that would allow interdimensional transportation. Yes. Basically, he would be creating interdimensional transporter. Transporter. And the thing, one thing about Tarka too is like, 
You, Essentially, what we're seeing is a typical Star Trek building block of a person we thought was going to be a villain. But in all Star Trek fa fashion, they make their villains more dynamic. They have to give them something that is more than just the troll mustache wearing. I'm doing this for my own benefit. Ha ha ha. Right. No. The greatest Star Trek villains are all very dynamic. We all know that basically Khan's evil, but we also understand him is to he, some degree. Is he evil? Because he, he did. He was left stranded. Yes. On City Alpha Fire. But the, 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 the overall story of- I can uh, never talk about Khan's planet. Khan's planet, City Alpha, Alpha Five. Without saying it like yes. Jaga. Oh, yeah. City Alpha Five. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Ricardo Montalban yelling at him that this is City Alpha 5. <laughs> it was, it's amazing. like the best moment. It's fucking but amazing. Like, the, the beautiful thing is Khan's evil. Khan's evil, but we feel sorry because a, a really evil thing happened to him. Is he evil or is he just uh, so intelligent that he has a superiority complex that possibly morally justifies you can his make, mind. You can make that argument because that's what to me makes Khan evil is his ego. It, right. His ego is what makes him evil. But are we evil for simply stepping on a bug on the ground that we deem unintelligent? Exactly. <laughs> and, then, and that's what makes exactly. Star Trek That's my point. Awesome. Strengthening your point. You're exactly right because that's why these characters are interesting. Are interesting. And, and I, and I'm glad you bring that up again and stress that point because I don't think we're in the clear 100% with Tarka. Tarka still may end up doing something and you could see his desperation and his need to redeem himself in the eyes of Oros who feels like possibly he was abandoned by Tarka. So when you have a character that has that type of desire and need, it may not work in the favor of the rest of the characters in the story. I don't think it's going to end well still. I think Tarka is still going to make some decisions that jeopardize individuals. Yeah. So we'll see. I, now, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but this interdimensional transporter isn't the first time we've had an interdimensional transporter. In fact, O'Brien from D Space Nine, yep. not O'Brien, our our O'Brien, but it was a the different O'Brien. Mirror Universe <laughs> yep. O'Brien that they called Smiley, I believe is was his nickname in the Terran Empire universe. Didn't he create yes, a he transporter did. to go kidnap Cisco? Yeah, and he came back and forth. That became the way they went back and forth from their universe to the prime from the prime universe to the mirror universe. So I'm not quite sure why this technology wasn't already known unless the idea with this technology, Dave, is, is very specific, meaning, or not as specific, I should say. It, perhaps O'Brien's transporter device, which was designed to recreate the effects of the transporter accident from the original series that transported Kirk. Kirk to the mirror universe. Perhaps that bit of technology only allowed passage into the mirror universe. Whereas this multi 
verse positioning equation allows this interdimensional transporter to pinpoint any universe. Yes, because you got to remember the whole point of Tarka and Oris's plan was to find a place that was free of what was it? It was no war, no burn, and no emerald chain. It's basically the how do you describe it? Out of all possible universes, it's it, said to be the most peaceful. The most peaceful. It's, so it's it, almost like on the completely other spectrum of the mirror universe. It's yes. the complete opposite. And it, it, uh, the the term that I have written down here that Oros called it was Kalice. Uh, Kalice? It's K-A-Y-K-A-L-E-S. Yeah. And it's basically kind of like heaven. It's a utopia. It feels that way, right? Or, I mean, it's interesting. I liked how they crafted this this utopian universe around a type of cultural folklore. I really thought that was a nice I touch. It was a nice touch, Rather too, yeah. than simply relying on, oh, science told me. I like the idea that, because that's something we got away from during this new era of Star Trek. We got away from the mystical side of Trek. And even though a lot of the mystical side of Trek, like for example, the prophets and the, the Klingon faith, even though the mystical elements could easily be interpreted as just simply science, which as you know, the prophets were essentially just aliens that, aliens lived, that lived in the, but it didn't mean that they weren't used as a form of religious faith. Well, look at, look at the story of season two, the red angel the, it tackled that. Yeah. It tackled the whole fact that basically the red angel was treated like a God in some, some societies, but in actuality it was just either Burnham or her mom in a suit. Right. <laughs> right. So I feel like ha bringing that aspect in mixing, mixing science up with a bit of you know, cultural mysticism or cultural folklore I feel like brings back an element in Star Trek that I always found interesting. Like the idea of Stolokor, oh, on yeah. faith has always been extremely, I want to say intriguing, especially that episode where they kind of left it open-ended when Baylana was able to cross over into Stolokor. Yes. In voice. Yeah. Yeah. They did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was an episode they did. Where she, that, was, yeah. she was trying to find, was it her mother or her father? I can't remember exactly, I but I think it was like her father. I want to say her father. They left it open-ended. Is this truly a, a hell? Yeah. Is this, <laughs> is this something spiritual or is this, or can this be explained through science? Exactly. And that's the, that's the genius of Star Trek. Honestly, that's always kept it different from all sci-fi franchises around it, whether it be Star Wars, you know, Battlestar Galactica, their way of actually melding science and mysticism has been like a hallmark for Star Trek because look at Star Trek five. Yeah. Look at Star Trek five with the look philosophical at, denouement at the ending where they're debating the existence of God and whether or not God truly exists or look I at mean, the, look at the ideas of the Q. The Q is actually a godlike being or like even the, uh, the guardians of forever. Right. I mean, to a lesser culture, right. A less advanced culture, they would be gods. They would be gods. Yeah. Okay, so we have clarity on Tarka and his motivations. The Admiral and her... I, I really liked what they did with Burnham and the Admiral as well. Yeah. Really putting any type of potential divisionary attitudes to the side. 
and showing, I want to say that the show is showing a true maturity to Burnham as a captain. And that to me, without a doubt, David, is probably the strength of this entire season. And it goes to show you the problems we've had since day one had to do with the simple fact that there was no definitive leadership role taking center stage that everyone can gravitate to and that everyone could learn from and use as a type of support. And now that we have this singular character, everything seems to be falling in place. We get to see her maturity as a captain and she's learning from her mistakes finally. And the very diplomatic way that she's handling her differences with the Admiral in a moment that felt very real and sincere between the two of them. It works to per, to continue to push their story further. Yeah. And it's also not about just Burnham. It's no. about this president. Yep. It's about Relic's growth as a, a character that has to deal with essentially, especially when you think about it, the crew of discovery to a person who is a thousand years evolved or old uh, or more developed than discovery crew, you have to, she has to be looking at them when they first showed up as, Oh my God, they're behind the times. Yeah. They're, and you expect me to believe that this person who comes from a primitive time, ideologically primitive, ideologically I mean, I guess primitive. You would. Wouldn't you look at someone from You'd a thousand look at years him ago? And, basically, yeah. and she would look at Burnham and say, no, I'm not going to trust you at all because your, your, your ideology is primitive to us. Yep. Okay. So when it comes to the DMA, it has now presented an even greater threat. And I think a lot of us knew this was going to be the <laughs> next logical step in creating that suspense. Yeah. But did. now, uh, Navarre and Earth, as well as Titan, are in the sights of the DMA. And it definitely added to a very emotional and, I would say, empowering scene for the crew when they learned of this information. I like that the crew is handling the stress and the emotions of situations a lot better as well. Yeah, they're not bawling, crying. <laughs> which, if this had happened in the first season, that's exactly what we would have had. So I like the general maturity that is happening this season within our crew. Yeah, because now, like it's really important. I think this, one of Discovery's hurdles, in order to win a lot of those naysayers over, they have to get away from the... Something tra something tragic has happened. Everyone starts crying. Yeah. That is a stereotype that basically I've noticed Discovery has gotten, and they have to shake off. And they have. I think this season they've definitely worked in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in that scene, because I was waiting for it. <laughs> I was waiting for, for someone to look down and start getting really downtrodden and go and start crying. And I'm like, no, the crew all of a sudden galvanized all together and basically said, yeah, we we're going to tackle this head on. Yeah, it's worked. Okay, David. So we're, we are getting to the point. Where we got to close out pretty soon here, but just a few last things to touch on. Okay. Uh, Kovic. Thank you. We have to bring that up. <laughs> we have He's a character, David. That's just so intriguing because when he says that there are things more urgent, <laughs> in the DMA that makes my brain go wild the, in, the, in speculation. Cause what could he possibly be doing 
that could be considered more urgent. Yeah, that requires his, his, he said his. Expertise. His expertise. And I'm like going, um... It's one of those things that basically I was, uh, I forgot to mention when we were talking about the the definitions of the galactic barrier, creating that sense of unknown. Kovic is just basically also just reminding people, hey, you know, there's other things out there that are more dangerous. (laughs) And they also could be getting ready to set down some of the groundwork for season five. Oh, God, dude. I hope so. And I hope that Kovic is there. Oh, of course. Come on. You can't get rid of him. He is one of the best characters in discovery just because I mean, I love his intellectual joke that no one got. (laughs) (laughs) And I hate to say it. That was like one of my favorite funny moments. It was amazing. I was like, this is good. I like this. So there's a lot of cool things in the works. My theory, David, moving into our final thoughts here. My theory is that we're not completely wrapping up the issue of what's beyond the galactic barrier. We cannot possibly resolve all of this in a single episode. And if they do, David, in my opinion, that would be a gross error. That would be like them face planting again. Yeah, it's too big. It's just too big of an idea to try to wrap it up. If anything, which I think this is what they're doing, David, because if you look at the steps they took in this episode, what did they close out? They started closing out character arcs. They started closing out some of those lingering threads of narrative yes. and bringing it back into the fold. Well, we're talking about issues with Stamets. We're talking about issues with Saru and his newfound relationship with the president of Navarre. We're talking about Gray and Adira. Colbert. Parka. All of our character arcs are coming to a close. But what's not coming to a close is the bigger story. Yes. And for season to work, you don't necessarily need to close out the threat. You have to close out the immediate narrative. A, B, C, D, and E have to be completely tied up. And our character stories individually for the season have to have closure. Yes. And then that way you can have a successful to be continued, which I think is what they're doing. Yeah, I feel like we're definitely going to get some some resolve, but ultimately the bigger threat of what's beyond the galactic barrier is going to be more about is going to be further fleshed out in season five. I think. And that's what uh, I would like. Yeah, I think honestly, just to add on to your point is like this next episode. You know, hand over heart. This next episode is the most important episode in all of Discovery's history. Yeah. Because this is their moment to shine. They have to be able to stick this landing and do what, do what you said. is like they need to actually not rush things and give us a cohesive narrative ending to follow up into season five. Yep. I'm hoping we get there, David, and everything seems to be going in that direction. And that's why I feel comfortable for the first time in a while watching a new Star Trek, whether it be Star Trek season three or Picard season one, I feel completely comfortable moving into the final episode. Yes. And that makes me a little nervous, but also happy because I was able to be giddy watching this episode (laughs) because they're doing some really cool things. Yes. So I'm going to give this episode, David, man, this is a tough one. It is because like it, I want to say it's an, 
want to say it's a 90. The lowest, they did so much in this episode. You know what? It's a, it's a 90, maybe even higher. I, I don't want to be, I want to make sure my Star Trek fanness isn't, isn't overriding. Your... Yeah. Because academically it's probably a 90% as a Star Trek fan. I'd probably give this like a 95, but I don't think that would be a, I don't think that'd be an objective grade. So I'm going to give it a 90%. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at right now is because I actually have like three separate scores because three separate. Yeah. Because, and they, and they're varied because like the low score, I, I, I first was going to be thinking 88, 88%, but with everything that they've been able to put forth, they did a lot. They did did a lot. lot. Yeah. And I can't ignore that. So that brings it up a little bit. And then you bring into the facts that like, I mean, this, if you listen back to this episode, how excited some of the potential they have exactly Easter eggs that they are not Easter eggs. Please do not (laughs) use that term, but like the, the, the potential of what they've laid for the future of Star Trek and also like the character growth they've done with painstakingly with all these characters, then it starts going up, but I have to uh, be objective. And at the end I ended up with a 92. A, a, a 90, nine. Oh, okay, a 90, 90. A 90 okay. also. All right. Well, the only negative, and I, I don't want to say it's a negative, but we got to, we got to make sure we cover our bases. Well, no, no. I'm just going to say like, well, let's quit trying to make let's fly happen. It's, it's not, not a thing. Okay? <laughs> it's, not it's, a it's probably thing. the worst captain catchphrase of all time. It's not really a complaint. It's just, a, it's just a, <laughs> a point of irritation. Point of irritation. <laughs> Why? It just had no impact. I don't even think Sonequa Martin Green likes it. Because look, I don't how, think she likes look, it look how the line was delivered. She didn't even look like she was even sold on it. She's all right. Let's let's fly. Let's fly. <laughs> Are you sure you want me to say this? Is really stupid. No, yeah. it's perfect. It's gonna come out great. <laughs> and and it's like suddenly Burnham went from this very proud person to I don't want to say it yeah. like this. Right, I want why does why does you know like everyone all the other captains have great sayings and I have let's fly yeah, let's fly <laughs> let's fly. If I was her, I just refuse to say it. I can I would rewrite it. I still say, dude, my favorite one I'd was like, Anson let's Mounts. Get, let's get dirty. Like that's, that'd be mine. Let's get dirty. <laughs> let's get dirty. <laughs> or no, Anson Mounts was cool. Because he had hit swagger it. behind hit oh, it. Well, yeah, it fits him. It it fits. Yeah. It fits Pike perfectly. Yeah. All right. So let's close out today's show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to leave us reviews and rate our show on iTunes as well as Spotify. It does help trigger algorithms. And then more people can find our show. It makes us strong. Yes. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.